More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Third hour, Clay and Buck, Friday, January 26th. Much to discuss with you now. Stephen Miller, the man himself, with us. He is senior, was senior advisor, although I feel like he still is, to President Trump and founder of the America First Legal Foundation and an expert on all things border immigration related. Uh, Stephen as you know, biggest story in the country right now, bigger focus than the primary or even the general election, although it certainly plays into the general election in a major way, is what's happening at the at the southern border. Um, first up, the the Biden administration, it feels like they're caught between a rock and a hard place because they can either clear out the razor wire and show everybody that they're the welcoming committee for illegals. Or they can back down and let Texas actually defend the state. How do you see it playing out, and what should happen here? Well, thank you, first of all, for that introduction. And as I'm sure your audience has heard by now, but just to recap, Texas invoked the Article 1, Section 10 provision allowing the state to defend itself based on Biden's violating... Article 4, Section 4, which requires the federal government to protect states against invasion. So in other words, as part of joining the Union of States, the federal government agrees to protect you from invasion. If they don't, then you get to protect yourself. Pretty simple, right? That's where we are right now with Texas, because the Constitution, as has been said many times before, is not a suicide pact. So joining the Constitution means that if the president is elected who decides to have your state invaded, you don't have to sit back and take the invasion. And that's where we are right now with Texas. The, the key question to me is not just will, what will happen with the razor wire, because if we're being honest, the razor wire in and of itself is a, is a delay, it's an impediment, but the smugglers and the cartels can just move the illegals over to where the razor wire isn't, right? They can just go to a place in the river with his border patrol agents and just turn themselves in. 
They can go to federal land, federal property, port of entry, near port of entry, et cetera, just turn yourselves in. That's what this is all about, right? The Border Patrol is under orders to tear down the razor wire so the border agents can get more quickly to illegal aliens to process them for entry. They're angry about the razor wire because it slows down the resettlement process. So I think the next step here, so 25 governors have said they support Texas, and a lot of people have celebrated this fact. They are not asking enough of these governors. Great, they put out a statement saying they support Texas. Put your troops where your mouth is. If you support Texas, then send your National Guard to Texas. Because what Texas actually needs to do is develop an impedance and denial strategy, is what it's called. And that is that you have to physically block the entry of migrants, and then you have to physically take them back to the point at which they cross the border. So it's not a conventional deportation, as you or I think of it, which is a bilateral agreement between countries, right? So in other words, when, when Border Patrol normally deports a single immigrant, they call up the host country and they say, hey, we're sending some people back. Let us know when and where, and you'll meet us there. This is something much more essential, which is you pick up the migrant, illegal alien, you put him in your Jeep, you drive them back to the point at which they last crossed. And if they come back in again, you prosecute them, you put them in jail, and then you drive them back to where they last crossed. And eventually they're going to stop trying. But that's going to require enormous manpower to do. Texas is going to need help from other states. So to me, that's the real question here. Stephen, you sent a tweet that I thought was really interesting. A lot of people inside the Biden administration are trying to say, hey, we're trying to get the courts to give us the ability to act. Uh, we need Congress to, to get involved in border security in order for us to be able to involve uh, border security. You actually said that Biden doesn't need any of that. He has the presidential powers to solve the issue at the border by himself right now. How? Yes, very simply. And this is, I think, the most straightforward way to put it. If Joe Biden signed a one-sentence executive order, the border crisis would be gone in you know, probably five to seven days. And that one-sentence executive order would simply read, I hereby direct all agencies and officers in the government to reinstate every immigration policy issued by President Trump. If you just issued that one executive order, then the border crisis would be gone in a matter of days. That's it. So this is the important point to push back on with all of the lunatics and liars out there who are saying, oh, my God, look, Republicans are blocking border security now. Republicans aren't blocking anything. Joe Biden is the leader of the invasion. The invasion ends when Joe Biden says, stop leading the invasion and start implementing border security and deportation policies, all of which he has the authority to do because he had those policies in place on January 20th, 2021, and the first thing he did when he came into office is he ordered them all terminated and shut down. I mean, the clearest example of this I can give, and there's, of course, many examples, is that they are allowing millions of military-aged males into the United States traveling alone, so single adult men traveling alone. As bad as Obama was on immigration, Obama never let a single adult male into the United States as a matter of policy. I'm sure there were obviously single adult men here and there that they apprehended and let in for one particular reason or another, but these would be a, a rounding error against the overall flow of the legal immigration. Uh, there were obviously gotaways, but I'm talking about people they apprehended. Obama was letting in families and minors primarily, in the hundreds of thousands, but that's who he was primarily letting in. 
the uh, the government has the apex of its authority, currently unrestrained even by the most liberal judges, is the ability to detain an adult male through removal. So there's there's no restraining influence at all on the executive. A hundred percent of adult men crossing the border could be detained indefinitely through deportation. There's no limiting, there's no countervailing authority. There's no challenge to that. The way that with minors and children, the judiciary has messed it up in all different kinds of ways that required all the elegant solutions that Donald Trump put into place. So every single time he's releasing a military-aged man into the country, it's just because he wants a military-aged man in the country. Whole columns of foreign militaries could just walk to our border, turn themselves in, and be in Cincinnati by weekend. That's the Biden policy. And hey, it hey, all Stephen, has to be shut down with one sentence order. Stephen, you know, you were comparing it to even what Barack Obama was doing, and I think this is really interesting. It's a uh, it's a clip of Barack Obama back in 2005, and what his feelings were about the border. This is what Obama used to say before he was president and, and all the rest. Play this one, guys. 19. We all agree on the need to better secure the border and to punish employers who choose to hire illegal immigrants. Uh, you know, we are a generous and welcoming people here in the United States, but those who enter the country illegally and those who employ them disrespect the rule of law, uh, and they are showing disregard for those who are following the law. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. So the uh, Obama administration, or rather Barack Obama of then, and the Democrat Party of 2005, Stephen, so they were just lying to the American people? Is that what happened? Uh, what changed? Yes and no. The, the history of the two parties on immigration is really fascinating. Because you go back, that clip I think was from 2005, but yep. if you go back to the 90s, you go back, you rewind even one more decade, one of the most conservative people in the whole of Congress on immigration was Harry Reid of Nevada, the late Harry Reid, who was pushing for significant changes to immigration law, including the end of birthright citizenship. The, and then it was Paul Ryan, who was then a legislative director, who helped derail significant immigration crackdowns that were being moved through the process legislatively in the 90s. So the Democrat Party over time became increasingly radical and increasingly left on immigration. And it really accelerated significantly during the Obama years to the point at which the, um, in 2013, as you remember, Obama tried to pass this giant mass amnesty and citizenship bill for all illegal aliens. But by the time Donald Trump came into office, the Democratic Party had completed its evolution into an open borders party, in which this was true in 2017 and remains true today. There's not a single deportation policy that Democrats as a party support, not one. In other words, there's not a single policy you can name that results in a single deportation that any national Democrat is willing to publicly come out and support. If you went to KJP, Corinne Jean-Pierre, at the White House press podium, or even Kirby, or any of those people, and you said, I'm going to ask you a question and then give you the floor, and I'll just wait and I'll listen. So 
I want you to just tell me. You can list one, you can list ten. I want you to begin telling me now, list for me, the immigration policies you support that result in illegals being deported. They would not be able to say one thing, one intelligible world, one intelligible sentence. To them, border security is illegal alien processing. Full stop. It's a, a ticket into Disneyland. That's what the border is to them. And the reason for that change is that evolution is twofold. The first, somewhat less obvious, is, is the shift of the Democratic Party to being the party of corporate interests. And there's the Republican Party shifted to being the party of working class interests. And related to that, and much more obvious and discussed, is the Democratic Party's realization that the key to their permanent political power is unchecked mass migration. And once that became clear to them that, that they, could, they could have some short-term political stumbles from their stance on immigration, but in exchange obtain permanent political power, that was the end of the transformation. And that at that point, there was no immigration restriction they supported and no immigration loosening they did not support. And that's where we are today. They are a party of open borders. And there's no parallel anywhere in the Western world. In other words, in the whole of the Western world, there's not one party that is the official dominant liberal party. You could have like, you know, obscure third and, you know, uh, and sort of fringe parties. But in terms of any system in which there's sort of a dominant party of the left, nowhere else in the whole of the Western world is there a dominant party of the left that supports no borders at all. Only in America, only the Democratic Party, only Joe Biden. It's the, it's the only in the West. It's the first in the West. That's where we are right now as a country. Stephen, could you come back? Because we're getting a lot of questions about what deportation would actually look like. And I imagine it's a fairly detailed answer. But there are, you know, let's say there's 10 million uh, illegals that uh, that are currently here. That's a low number, but let's wait, just wait, say do, there's do you 10 want to million. Hold, Clay, do you just want to yeah. hold them through? Stephen, can you yeah, stay that's with what us I'm saying. Can you come back with the next segment, Stephen? Yeah, sure thing. All right, okay. let's hold Stephen over because we want we'll to ask discuss. him that question about deportation in particular, which a lot of you have uh, wanted to know what that would actually entail. Yeah, what would it look like? How possible is it? But first up, world events can have an effect on our nation's economy. We've seen it happen before, not too long ago, and we're likely to see it again soon enough. How the value of the U.S. dollar is affected in the future is anyone's guess, though one person is stepping forward, Tika Tawari. He's a former Wall Street insider and someone who knows a thing or two about the economy. He's put his thoughts into a new video that is now online. Tika will share his research findings and his thoughts for the future and how it might affect you and me. He'll also share with you the three steps he thinks you need to take to be best prepared for what could happen if the U.S. dollar gets hit hard. Go to MoveYourCashNow.com to see it free of charge. That's MoveYourCashNow.com, paid for by Palm Beach Research Group. Jack Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time... 
with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to more than a movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We got Stephen Miller with us right now, and I wanted to hold him over. I appreciate him being flexible on this. Stephen, there are, let's say there's 20 million, let's say there's 15 million illegal immigrants in this country right now. Almost none of them are being deported. Trump wins. You're in charge. He says, get these guys out of the country. How does it happen? How reasonable and expected of uh, a result would it be to think that millions of people can be deported? Is it possible? What does it look like? Oh, it'll absolutely happen. So if if President Trump is returned to the Oval Office, and if I am given any kind of opportunity or honor to be part of the immigration enforcement program, then what we would do next is fairly straightforward. And I think we've talked about this some before, but first and foremost, you have to address the personnel and resource problem. So ICE is actually a relatively understaffed agency, particularly the number of deportation officers is quite slim. There's only 6,000 deportation officers. So you need to pool first from every single federal law enforcement agency within DHS and within DOJ, by the way, a very good way to find out at FBI real fast who's mission aligned and who's not is how much grumbling there is when you send the FBI to carry out deportations. You'll find out real quick who with the FBI is on your team and who's not uh, when it comes time to say, new mission, guys, you're going to go start removing illegal aliens from the country. But you get all your federal law enforcement engaged in the mission. Then you use state national guards. So again, these 25 states is a great example. You go to these 25 governors. Of course, you can federalize the National Guard if you need to, but hopefully a lot of these governors would voluntarily lend the National Guards, and then you create areas of operation. So you put the National Guards together, say, in the southeastern parts of the country. You have teams that are led by veteran ICE officers, 
and that you use the National Guard to then supplement. So if they need to block off a street to prevent an escape from a gang member, if they need to provide additional trucks, vans, anything, additional personnel, whatever it is, you have all these National Guard units. And then you have state and local law enforcement who, of course, have experience actually putting cuffs on people, actually dealing with people who are resisting arrest. And I've heard horror stories you can't imagine about what it's like to arrest a fugitive gang member. I mean, they they scratch and they kick and they claw and they bite. I've seen photos you never want to see. Uh, so you need to have people who are experienced in actually getting cuffs onto people who are fighting back. And then you, on top of all of that, you need to have a place to put all these people while they're awaiting removal. So you have to build, and this is where the military also comes in, you have DOD work with DHS to build compliant facilities to stage people who are waiting outbound flights. And this then is what allows you to be able to fight back various legal challenges so that, you know, if somebody tries to fight their deportation, they're going to be understanding they're fighting a deportation not from the comfort of your own home. You're fighting your deportation from a federally created staging ground at or near the border. And then you have planes, both DHS planes, charter planes, military planes that are taking off on a regular basis. You just keep sending planes, and everybody you can get home, you get home. People that are get caught up in the legal system, you're going to detain them during Steve, that whole time period. Stephen, we only got about 20 seconds. Just Can I ask you real quick, um, as you're telling us this process, yeah, sorry, how Steve. many year one could President Trump deport under this framework? How many total people do you think? I don't want to put a think? number on it. I would just say it this way. Here's your soundbite for today, gentlemen. Donald Trump goes back in the White House with God as my witness you are going to see millions of people rapidly removed from this country who have no right to be here. All right. That's a good soundbite that would make a lot of people very, very happy. Thank you, Stephen Miller. Does fantastic work. Hopefully he gets the opportunity to make that happen because it's something that needs to occur. Thank you for the time. Stephen, we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, I want to tell you, you need to save some money. How many of you out there would like to save $1,000? Uh, big difference, right? At the end of the year, what could a thousand extra dollars in your pocket mean? Well, that's what Pure Talk does. They do incredible job with phenomenal coverage for half the price of the other guys. Unlimited plans starting at just 20 bucks a month. The average size family out there can save almost a thousand dollars a year. And as a veteran owned company, Pure Talk is a company you can feel proud to do business with. Their customer service team, 100% U.S. based, best in the business. Dial pound 250. Say Clay and Buck to join your fellow Americans. Make the switch right now. Dial pound 250. Say Clay and Buck. Save an additional 50% off your first month with Pure Talk. That's pound 250. All right, so we mentioned this, Clay. I think we got to get to you. You know where I'm going here. The view is a source of constant amusement for this audience. For their own audience, I guess they think they're getting political analysis. For us, it is unintentional comedy, and we are thankful for it because Clay and I are, are uh, grateful guys. Um, so we're happy The View exists for the for those reasons. Um, but The View going after Nikki Haley as an ageist was a particularly... Uh, interesting twist i guess on things let's let's hear what the ladies over there 
Send you off to your Friday here pretty soon. Let's hear what the ladies have to say. Play one. She went off because Don Lemon said that she was older, that she was past her prime. This is what she says on Saturday in New Hampshire. My parents are up in age and I love them. But when you see them hit a certain age, there is a decline. That's a fact. She's talking about her own parents. Then she says, you know, she starts attacking Joe Biden and Donald Trump on their age. She's an ageist, yet she was offended when someone talked yeah, about remember, her age. Yeah, but remember, you're calling Hypocrite. a man old at 80 and a woman at 50. <laughs> I have to depend on Lemon a little bit, because I don't think he meant that he thinks a woman is over the hill. No. A woman is perceived as over the but hill. That's my point, is yeah. the world yeah, perceives right. 50. Right. Okay, I mean, there, there's there's so much there that's wrong for it. Can I can I start though just with the Nikki Haley says she's seen it with her own parents. You get to a certain age and you slow down. The women of the view are like, how dare she? I mean, I could also sit there and say I've seen it in my own life. People grow old and then they die. That is a fact. That that is reality. Like, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with saying that. That that is the reality of all of our lives. We are all growing older. We are all going to die. To argue that premise seems to me to be particularly bizarre, even for the view. And there's more than just that at, at work here. Yeah, we've got another clip, I think, too. But let's, of all the things that Nikki Haley has said, people slow down when they get older is not remotely controversial. And by the way, there's a difference in saying that somebody is past their prime. I believe Nikki Haley is 52. Would you rather, as a general rule, employ at your business a 52-year-old or an 80-year-old to do a job? Anybody out there that owns a business, you know nothing else about the person. I bet almost every one of you would say, short of the job being Walmart greeter, I would take the 52-year-old. There is a reason, Buck, that they don't allow 80-year-olds to operate airplanes. There is a reason that you cannot be an 80-year-old general in charge of military command. It's not because there aren't some 80-year-olds. Warren Buffett has been very, very on top of it. Charlie Munger, who just died at 99, two of the best investors out there. Some people's brains work really, really well when they get into their 80s. But as a general rule, there's a big difference between 80 and 52, So it's not wrong for Nikki Haley to question whether she's past her prime at 52 and also point out that 80-year-olds in general don't need to be in charge of the nuclear codes. Now, is Trump far more mentally adroit and with it than Joe Biden? I think the answer is quite clearly yes. Trump may be a very advanced 78-year-old in terms of his mental acuity, But it's still quite significantly the case that most people around 80 years old are not on the ball in the same way that they would be if uh, for mental faculty. There's actually a really good Wall Street Journal story about this, Buck, that said the average age, sorry, when do your mind peak, your rational skills, your logic, your ability to analyze information, judgment, they think that it peaks around 57 years old. Because by the time you get to be 57, you've experienced enough to have good good wisdom with age, but your mind has not begun to deteriorate where your overall judgment declines. Now, everybody's different, but that sounded to me about right. Most CEOs, most people in judgment roles are in 
their 40s and 50s, and most people are starting to retire by around 65. Well, well, there's also... So so it's weird to say, how dare Nikki Haley be ageist and bring her own parents into it? Um, it's like, yeah, when I was a kid, you know, my parents could both, like, run faster than me. You know, now, now I'm an adult, and they're getting older, and, like, things change. Um, Don Lemon, though, to bring Don Lemon into this, wow. To say Don Lemon wasn't even saying anything that bad, I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> That they would defend him now. I don't think they were defending him then. This no, is a flashback. So. This is what Don Lemon was saying and tw- said in 2023. Got him in all this trouble. Uh, play cl- uh, cut two. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's talking about? Acor- that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. It's actually. It's I. First of all, it's a classic Don Lemon moment because he doubles down on it. They're in their prime in their twenties and thirties for childbearing. Yes, that is true. That that you know, and and somewhat into your forties, but like in a career sense to be. <laughs> Saying that it's that's really funny. It, that's one of the best clips ever because when he's challenged by it, he says he Googled it, which is just, it's just amazing oh, no. to he me. He said to, to them, he was like, Google it, Google it. He was very dismissive <laughs> that, that his research would be, and you and I know because we've done a lot of these shows, there are probably 20 research assistants on this show. So if Don Lemon wants to say, hey, talking about age makes me uncomfortable because everybody's age. Uh, everybody ages differently. Some people are more uh, with it at older ages than others. Don't use age as a proxy for what you can and cannot do. All of that would have been fine, and he would still have a job probably at CNN. Instead, he said that Nikki Haley is past her prime at the age of 52, which is, as we've talked about on this show, actually relatively young for a politician, which is why we said she should probably drop out of the 2024 race because she'll only yeah. be fifty six or fifty seven in twenty twenty eight. You know, you know who who doesn't watch CNN? Women in their twenties and thirties. You know who does watch CNN? Women who are Democrats who do not want to be told in their fifties that they are past their prime. Just telling you, that's he was not playing to the audience there at all either. But you know, Don Lemon, whatever. He's the only now on X. He, he lasted as long. Yeah, I think he's. Is the show started yet? I I saw that he was know. going to be doing a show on X. Would you I go mean, on do you Don Lemon's Don show Lemon on X if he made in his you? career? Would I, I, well, I don't think I'm allowed to uh, to oh, go yeah. on his show because of the Fox News thing, but I would not be opposed to going on uh, Don Lemon's show. I mean, I, I'd, I'd, go, I mean I'd go on, and, and it, it, would, it, would be, it would be interesting. Don and I know each other a little bit, so it would be interesting. What do you I've, think Don Lemon was making on that CNN morning show when he got fired for saying women are past their prime. I mean, I know that well, I know that he was making like 4 or 5 million dollars a year at CNN. I don't know if that changed when he did the morning show, but but so yeah. my point on that is I always think salaries like that are interesting. What do you think Don Lemon is making on the X show that he is potentially going to do? Right now, like probably 40, 50 bucks a month. I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is it but based I mean, the on drop-off. clicks or is it based on a contract? I, I, it's a great question, but my, my thought on it is just there are very few jobs where if you get fired, there isn't, you know, you're incredibly overpaid. Where if you get fired from the job that you have, you have no ability to make anywhere near the same amount doing anything else, right? Like, Don, to your point, Don Lemon might be making $5 million a year. 
he might be making $50 a month now. It's not like somebody else swept in when Don Lemon got fired and said, oh my goodness, this guy is so talented, let's build something around him. I think the reason why he's doing this uh, this show is because he has absolutely no other uh, uh, options out there. Let me say this, by the way, as we get ready to go into the weekend, Buck. Prize picks. You said that you hit on your uh, the one that you gave out. On you could tennis. say that I aced my prize picks. There you go. That is a dad joke from Buck, who hopefully soon will be a dad. Um, he aced his uh, prize picks with the Australian Open. I'm going to try to win for a third straight week. All right, here's how you sign up. Prizepicks.com slash clay. That is prizepicks.com slash clay. I've got four different prop bets from the AFC and the NFC championship games. These are four different picks that I am making. Uh, I am going to go with Justin Tucker is going to have more than one and a half field goals. He is the field goal kicker for the Baltimore Ravens. If he kicks two, we hit this pick and win. I'm going to go with more than one and a half field goals. I'm going to say that George Kittle is going to have more than 61 and a half yards receiving. Debo Samuel injured if he potentially to be 100% healthy. Kittle has become more of a focal point of uh, quarterback Brock Purdy. I think he's going to have more than 61 and a half yards receiving. I think that Patrick Mahomes is not going to be able to run the ball very much. I think the Ravens defense is going to do a good job against him. He's going to have less than 27 and a half rushing yards. And then I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey with his beloved Taylor Swift in the stands. I think he's going to have more than 62 and a half. You know, I'm going to flip this. I can't root for anything positive with Travis Kelsey. He's going to have less than 62 and a half receiving yards. So, Patrick Mahomes, less than 27 yards rushing. Travis Kelsey, less than 62 and a half in receiving. Kittle, over uh, 61 and a half yards receiving. And Justin Tucker, more than one and a half field goals. If all four of those hit, Buck, 10 to 1 payout. There you have it. Go get signed up right now. Prizepicks.com slash clay. That is prizepicks.com slash clay. Have some fun with the NFC and AFC championship games and maybe 10 times your money with those four picks I just gave you that'll also be up, by the way, on clayandbuck.com. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. 
when I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Final segment of the week, as always, thank you guys, encourage you to go sign up for the podcast, make sure you don't miss a single moment, and also you can now watch us three hours every single day, clayandbuck.com. There is a video stream that is up that you guys will be able to enjoy. Uh, Buck, did you see, I'm going to take a couple of your calls here in a moment, by the way, did you see that your good friend Alyssa Milano, who I know you interviewed before when you were at the Hill, is getting roasted lambasted filleted online because she asked for her followers to pay for her son's baseball team to be able to travel to Cooperstown New York and play Alyssa Milano you've actually been to her house but is worth 10 million dollars or more her husband is a Hollywood agent probably makes a million dollars a year um for them to be asking people out there to pay for their kid and other kids to go to a travel baseball tournament is just so tone deaf. I can only imagine that she's a left winger to even think of this. Um, yeah, uh, look, she's somebody who her takes online are the source of tremendous amusement for people on the right. Um, and I, I think that one of the, uh, one of the, um, Defining characteristics of the contemporary American Democrat is a lack of self-awareness. It's total lack of self-awareness, you know, because when you get so used to virtue signaling and thinking of yourself as good for doing nothing other than hold the right views in public or whatever, you forget what actual virtue is like and what actual sacrifice feels like. And you um, start to show more of who you are than you intend publicly. I think that's very common with Democrats. You know, I did this buck last year, and I uh, people may remember who listened to the show. I broadcast from Cooperstown, New York, from that area, yeah. uh, because my own son was in the 12U baseball tournament, which is very common. And by the way, if your kid out there is playing baseball, travel baseball, as mine was at the time, a lot of the way that they finish off the season is by doing this amazing trip to Cooperstown, New York. They stay in the in the uh, in the barracks, basically there, they play a ton of games. They play a tournament. It's phenomenal. I cannot imagine Buck asking other people who have way less money than I do to fund my kids' trip to go play baseball. 
I and, and just wait, did you say you, you, you litter up on Twitter? Have you told everybody? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I litter up. I mean, I'm saying the same thing. I, I, I can't believe that she could be so tone deaf. She has the ability to fund the whole team. Nobody would have needed to know, right? You don't have to brag about, but to ask other people with way less money than you to pay for your kid and other kids to go play in a travel baseball tournament. I just, I can't imagine, by the way, that the kids are super poor who are on this travel baseball team in general. Most people who play travel baseball, it's not a cheap thing to do. Yeah, but also, so you're you not know, struggling, ha- have a, but have a bake sale or like wash some cars, put, put out a GoFundMe. I mean, they're not trying to find, uh, you know, leukemia treatment or something for someone yeah, who's in, in real need. I mean, you know, a GoFundMe for the baseball team when you're, when you're a, a multi, multi millionaire celebrity, I, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a yeah. little, you know, if, if her asking, dog needed an operation, is she going to do a GoFundMe for that? I, I met her dog. Not very cute, but <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to me that this was happening. But anyway, that's going on. I think it kind of gives a sense for what to your point. I think it's a good uh, a good way to understand her a little bit more. By the way, VIP email Phyllis says that's Stephen Miller. He's one smart cookie. I would agree. Stephen, well, can I tell you, smart. Phyllis, I think if it's the same VIP Phyllis who convinced me to shave my beard, she's also a very smart cookie because I'm going to tell you, wifey doesn't want the beard back, Clay. Really? She's weighed in. She like she oh. likes clean shaven. Although now it's harder to hide some of that extra winter weight. So I got to get some more sun and get some more steps in, and maybe stay away from the brie. I'm telling French fries and cheese. Those are my weaknesses. Any cheese and French fries. And it's if I'm really feeling like I don't care about anything, fries. I'll even have melted cheese on French fries. But that's just insane. But it is delicious. Uh, Rick in South Carolina. Um, you, uh, you're talking about, we talked about the EV issue and energy in general. There's been a major issue. It's been super cold all over much of the country and people who have electric vehicles have been having challenges with it. You're a chemistry teacher. You say that's about the powers and propensities of the, uh, of the chargers, right? Yeah. Lithium batteries, uh, by nature, you cannot charge them as soon as they drop below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So the batteries have internal heaters which will use the energy of the battery to heat up the battery so it will take a charge. And that's across the board from your cell phone to the Tesla Tesla vehicle. And one other thing on this whole natural gas thing, this really irks me a lot because natural gas is methane. It's the most simplest hydrocarbon you can have. It's one carbon surrounded by four hydrogens. You burn it, you get one molecule of carbon dioxide and two molecules of water and energy. That's it. So those two points I just wanted to drive home. Rick, Bill Nye, the science guy, thumbs up, thumbs down. Bill Nye, thumbs down. <laughs> yes. What about, what about Breaking Bad? Thumbs up, thumbs down on the chemistry teacher uh, who becomes a drug dealer. Have you watched that? Oh, I. You know, I, I am. A, my degree is actually in the organic chemistry and the science, and that that uh, theory is spot on. I mean, 100%. Rick, if you ever, you know, you tell That's your students great. to call you Heisenberg when you have to hand out detention. You know what I mean? They'll know what you're talking about. That is such a good show, by the way. Um, Breaking Bad. My dad and my show. brothers agree that for them, it is the best scripted drama of all time. They think Breaking Bad. Um, I think that's. I would agree with that. That's why the chemistry teacher, if you don't know, decides that he has to deal drugs to try to pay for his wife's cancer treatments and get them money. Um, that's the premise with which the show begins. It's an incredible show from there. And, oh, Thank you, you know, for producer hanging. Greg is saying I'm making dad jokes with the Heisenberg joke. A lot of dad jokes today. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth.
Making a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.